Today's scripture is Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned to the crowd, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowns surround you and, you and are pressing on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you have uh, come to the same uh, conclusion that I have come to. But uh, the conclusion I have come to is that the singer, a songwriter, Andre Crouch, has blessed the church. He has blessed the church. His songs have had an impact on Christians and have been sung in churches all uh, throughout the world. Perhaps some of you didn't even know some of the songs that you sing were written by Andre Crouch, the blood that Jesus shed for me. You know that we sing during communion sometimes? Andre Crouch wrote that song. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Another one of the songs that Andre Crouch wrote. The blood, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I don't know why Jesus loved me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why he cares, right? Another Andre Crouch song. How about Take Me Back? <laughs> Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received him. Yeah, that's, that's Andre Crouch too. The list of his songs go on and on. One of them came to my mind this week as I was preparing for this sermon. Perhaps you've guessed it already. We sung it this morning. Jesus is the answer. The chorus says Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. 
This, this chorus is pretty simple, but it is no less true. In a world that is always seeking for answers, right, trying to, to solve the perplexing, mind-boggling issues of our day, the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is the answer. Now, I know what you are thinking. All right, Pastor Phil, Jesus can't be the answer to everything. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a reductionistic Sunday school answer approach to, to all of the world's problems? How does Jesus answer the problem of poverty and, and violence? There has to be other solutions to solve the, the world's ills of cancer and other life-threatening diseases. Is Jesus really the answer for, for racism and for mental illness? Now, brothers and sisters, those are questions I have. Those, those are good questions. Those are very good ob objections. There is no doubt that many have waxed eloquently on varying solutions to solve the world's problems. But if revelation is true, as it tells us that this present world is passing away and a new heaven and earth awaits us, then Andre Crouch is right. Jesus is the only answer for the world today. He is. And I believe that is the message the gospel writers are trying to press upon their readers. They are telling their narrative in such a way that we clearly see that Jesus is the answer for the world. Above him there's no other and that Jesus is the way. That's what the gospel writers are seeking to press upon us as they tell their narratives of Jesus walking upon the earth. That is Luke's agenda. That is his agenda in telling us about these various accounts we have been studying, and the ones in our text this morning are no different. You know, remember, this is, this is part two. Uh, we, we dealt with part one uh, last week, Right? We said that Jesus, upon, we learned that Jesus, upon arriving back uh, from the regions of the Gerasenes after healing the de demon possessed man, is immediately, we learn in our text, met by a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He is coming to Jesus because he has a sick daughter, 12 years old, and he would like Jesus to heal her. And along the way, oh, excuse me, and he liked Jesus uh, to heal her. And along the way, that's right, uh, Jesus is interrupted by a woman who, who has been sick for 12 years with this incurable disease. Pasquale uh, did a wonderful job last week helping us to see the various aspects of that woman's faith that led to her healing. This week, however, we want to view this encounter through the eyes of Jairus, the vantage point that he had. 
I mean, he is the one that approached Jesus first. He got to Jesus first, and this woman interrupted. But it is helpful that we don't too quickly move on from the woman Jesus healed. Because I believe Luke and all the gospel writers want to draw our attention to the contrast between these two individuals. I mean, they're The differences between the two individuals are striking and quickly jump off the page. We have Jairus, who is a high-ranking religious officer. Then there is this no-name woman, she has no name, suffering from a disease that has made her an outcast. Seeking to make it relevant to our context, you can say, probably say, that they were from opposite sides of the track. In the ancient world, these two individuals would have had nothing in common. But I believe that is intentional on the part of Holy Spirit who, ins- who inspired these writers, because you do see in all of the synoptics, in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they all weave these two encounters into the same narrative. And I think it is purposeful because God would have us to know that desperation is not only the predicament of the destitute. That is what we do. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It got me too. (laughs) That is what we do. We categorize people. When we read the biographical information of the woman, her desperation makes sense. She's a woman. She's an outcast. She is from the wrong side of the tracks. She is destitute. Of course, she is desperate. What is jarring is that we are then introduced to this well-to-do religious official. But guess what? He's just as desperate. Despite the stark differences in their demographics, these two individuals found themselves at the end of themselves, desperately in need of help. And this is very instructive uh, for us to remember, brothers and sisters, because too often we look at the social status of individuals or we get their biographical information and determine based upon that info who does and who doesn't need Jesus. Oh man, I, when I uh, was, got saved and I was uh, in a, uh, working with a parachurch uh, organization and we would be, we'd go door to door knocking on people's doors and sharing the gospel. And it kind of always used to irk me a little bit that we would always knock on doors in the hood or, or doors in the lower income neighborhoods. And I'd say, wait a second, what about the affluent communities? What about those communities on the north side? Why we always got to go on to the south side? Do we not think they need Jesus too? Oh, listen, suffering and pain, sickness and despair care nothing about your economic status, gender, ethnicity, or whether you are young 
or old. Listen, it doesn't care if you are a pastor serving in the church or a beggar on the street. At some point, everyone gets in a situation where they have exhausted all resources and they are desperate. Here is the point. We all need Jesus. We all need him. Jairus had, Jairus had resources. He was powerful and influential, and yet he still had a sick daughter whom he could not heal. He needed help. So just like the woman with the issue of blood, remember how it says that she heard about Jesus? Jairus had heard too. And now he was how he was healing people and that he had the power to cast out demons. And Jairus thought, perhaps he thought, man, there, there is hope. There's hope for my daughter. I'm, I'm going to go and find Jesus and, and see if he could come and help my daughter. Now, I don't think we should ignore the emotional roller coaster that was going on in the heart of Jairus. He had a sick daughter who was on her deathbed, and he was desperate for her to be healed. Now, please don't miss the, the detail that Luke gives us. This was his only daughter. His only daughter. And she was at the point of death. Now, listen, it's one thing to struggle to suffer from pain yourself. But when you have a child who is suffering, whom, who is hurting, it's just an entirely different thing. We all, parents, can testify to seeing our child dealing with something that we just, we, we just cannot help. We feel helpless. We, we, their pain is, is our pain. So here was Jairus, full of anxiety and helplessness. Oh, that, that feeling can, can, be, can be debilitating. But, but, but Jairus had to do something, and so, so he goes to the, to the bank, to the, to the Sea of Galilee. He hears Jesus is coming, coming back from the other side, and so he's there waiting for him to, to return, not knowing when he is going to return, but, but also knowing that with every passing second, his daughter could potentially breathe her last breath. Finally, though, he sees Jesus coming. He's coming. He's coming. He sees him coming off from a distance on the boat back to the shore. But, but he realizes that he is surrounded by a crowd of people. Will I be e even able to get to Jesus? All of these people are here with their own needs, with their own issues that they're looking for Jesus to help with. Will he even listen to my pleas, to my cries for help? Oh, I don't want to read too much into the text. But you realize Jesus didn't encounter emotionless people. 
The same struggles you and I deal with because of this sin-infested world are the same struggles these first-century folks dealt with. So Jesus, Jesus gets off the boat, and Jairus sees him, and he somehow gets through the crowd, and, and, and he pleads for Jesus to, to, to help him to come and heal his sick daughter. And Jesus, upon hearing his, his plea for help, agrees and begins to make his way to Jairus' home. You see, we make determinations about who and who doesn't need Jesus. But like pain and suffering knows no social or economic status, neither does Jesus. He is willing and ready to help anyone who knows that they are desperately in need of him. Jairus was, was, was desperate for Jesus. And so Jesus goes with him. Jairus is now, no doubt, I can imagine, full of hope. Jesus is coming. He's there. He's coming to help. And brothers and sisters, we do see that Jesus is the answer for the world today because you do understand that Jesus provides hope for the desperate. Hope for the desperate. Are you desperate? Have you run out of resources? Can I remind you, Jesus is hope for the hopeless. Jairus was desperate, but now he had hope because Jesus was with him. Jesus was with him. Haven't we often pressed upon you how significant hope is for anyone to survive in this world? Right? You, you, you can't live, we learned a few weeks ago, one second without hope. But to have Christ with you means you always have hope. You actually have hope inside of you because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. That's Paul's point in Colossians 1 and 27. To, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. He is what? The hope of glory. Since then, brothers and sisters, Christ is in you. It means that even though you are desperate, and believe you me, there are going to be times when things will look really, really, really bleak. Where you're not going to see a way out. And it's going to be difficult and hard. You need to always remember that there is always hope with Jesus. Always. All, there is always hope with Jesus. Paul, the apostle Paul struggled with this. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. Seeking to communicate to the Corinthians his struggles and, and his deep despair. He says, for, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Even we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is the Apostle Paul talking like this. 
But then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 1 and 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul put his hope in Jesus. He always knew that he had hope. He didn't despair beyond knowing that he had hope in Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the answer for the world today because the world today needs hope. It needs hope. Jairus was now full of hope. He had pleaded to Jesus, Jesus, my daughter is sick, need your help, and Jesus agrees to go with him. He is now full of hope as they're on their way uh, to Jesus. And I can, I can imagine here, he was saying, saying, or praying to his, to hold on, you know, help is on the way. Hold on, help is on the way. But like all of life, like all of life, brothers and sisters, it's true. As they were making their way to his daughter, there were some unexpected detours and setbacks along the way. First, there was a detour, or one might call it an interruption. On the way, Jesus, as we learned last week, stops to address the needs of this woman who, who through the crowd touched him. Now again, I think we need to reflect on the humanity of Jairus. Again, the writers don't tell us this, but I can imagine he was not too thrilled with this detour. Amen, parents? <laughs> they needed to get to his house. Time was of the essence. His daughter did not have long. Help was on the way, but now we find out that help is delayed. As he found himself waiting on the Lord as he was dealing with this woman. That is something we find ourselves doing often, isn't it? We go to the Lord for help. We go to him for help, and, and you begin to see him working, and then all of a sudden things stop. There is a delay. And like Jairus, we find ourselves waiting on the Lord. And so there's something I, I think this text teaches us about waiting on the Lord as detours and setback invade, setbacks invade our lives. One, God is working while we are waiting. We need to remember that. God is working while we are waiting. Jesus didn't, didn't stop to go shopping, <laughs> right? He didn't see a store along the way and say, hold, hold up, Jairus, I need to get something real quick. No. No, no stopping to shop. He stops to heal the soul of another one who was desperately in need of help. You need to understand that Jesus is full of compassion and he's full of mercy. And not just full, he is overflowing with it. And therefore, he has enough to cover all those who are in need of him. Wow. You are waiting on the Lord. Be reminded that the delay is purposeful. 
It could be in your life, but maybe it's in the life of another individual. Uh, God's working while we are waiting. But also we need to remember that God's delay doesn't mean disregard. God's delay doesn't mean disregard. We have also uh, uh, to be reminded that, that Jesus does not forget us. He's, he's not forgotten you. When we see Jesus helping someone else, don't make the assumption that he has forgotten about you. I know it may seem like it, but, but he knows. Jesus knows. The con- he, kn- he knew the condition of Jairus' daughter. He knows the details of all of the circumstances of our lives. In fact, he knows them better than you know them. <laughs> he hasn't forgotten. He just wants you to wait on him. He wants you to wait on him like the, like the urging of the psalmist in Psalm 127, in Psalms 27 and 14. Wait for the Lord, the psalmist says. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And when you wait on the Lord, you find that waiting on the Lord is worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, but they who wait on the Lord for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the waiting, brothers and sisters, God is teaching us to trust him. He is stripping us off of ourselves. He doesn't want us to trust in ourselves. And the reason why he doesn't want us to trust in ourselves is because trust in self breeds fear. It breeds fear. And Jesus desires not that you would choose fear, but that you would choose faith. Choose faith over fear. There was, there was the detour of the healing of this woman, but then the, the setback hit. It, it was actually more than a setback. It was devastating news that he received. Someone, the text tells us, from Jairus' house came and told him to no longer trouble Jesus. She's gone. She didn't make it. Immediately. I mean, this is, it's immediate. What little hope Jarius had had was now gone. And that hope was replaced with fear. Fear. Perhaps it crossed his mind like it came out of the mouth of Martha when her brother Lazarus had died. Remember what she said? Jesus, if you had been here, then, then Lazarus, my brother, would not have, have died. Jairus, Lord, Lord if, we, if we didn't have to stop, if we didn't, if we didn't make that detour, if we, if we weren't interrupted, maybe she would still be alive, but, but she's gone. She's gone. What, what am I going to do now? How can I survive this? Fear began to grip his heart. And I know that, not just because I could imagine getting the same news myself and how much fear would grip my heart, but I know that 
because of how Jesus responded to the news. After hearing the report, Jesus immediately looks at Jairus, looks him dead in the eye. Do not fear, Jairus. Only believe, and she will be healed. Jesus said this because he knew his heart. He knew the emotions that were rising in his soul. Now, I want to park here for a minute. I want to park here for a minute because this crossroad, the crossroad of responding in fear or faith when receiving difficult news confronts you and I on a regular basis. You better tell the truth this morning, right? Now, some people, this is glorious, some people, when they receive tough and difficult or, or, or quote-unquote bad news, some people respond in faith. They, they embody what Psalm 112.7 says. He or she is not afraid of bad news. His or her heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Some people, when they get news, that's their response. That, that's, that's what they go to. They immediately respond in faith. But I would suggest those are people that have been walking with the Lord for some time. For, for some time, and they have seen the Lord, right? answering prayer, and, and, and they have been, they've seen the goodness of God even in the midst of difficult news. And so when, they, when it comes, they, re, they return back to a time when they saw the Lord work, and so their heart is indeed firmly planted, trusting in the Lord. These, these people respond that way, have, have not only read Romans 5, 3, and 4, but I think they, they have lived it Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Some people, they hear the news, and they're like, yes, they rejoice in it because they know it's producing something in them. Few Christians respond to bad news with faith. Few. Few. But that is the goal. That is what we seek to strive for and how I believe Jesus would have us to respond to news that rocks our world. We want our default to be, to respond to, to be faithful and, and not fear. We want to respond in faith and not fear. But most of us, myself included, when presented with that crossroad, often, often choose fear. Often choose fear over faith. Now, why do we do that? We fear, we choose fear because after receiving the news, we immediately begin to rehearse the worst implications of that news. What is so-and-so going to think? How are we going to make it? What is, are we going to do? 
Where, where will we? we? We immediately jump to the most extreme negative implications that we can think of, and fear begins to well up in our souls. And this type of fear, brothers and sisters, is never a good thing. Fear left to fester in our souls leads to despair. Remember when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storm began to rage and the wind was blowing and the, 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 the water was crashing on the boat? They, they were fearful and, and they began to despair. They go to Jesus and what do they say? Jesus, Jesus, help us. We are perishing. Despair. Despair. Their fear led to uh, despair. Fear also leads you to wrong thoughts about God. It messes with your theology. Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but, kill, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It, it messes with how we, we view God. We begin to put fear of man above our fear of God. Why do we choose fear? Because fear, you do understand, is easy to respond. Is, e is an easy response to bad news. It's easy. It's easy. But choosing that road, brothers and sisters, doesn't lead to anything good. It's a dead end. The road, Jesus commands Jairus to take and desires us to take is the road of faith. It's the road of faith. Do not fa fear, Jairus. He tells him, only believe. Because that's the road that leads to life. It's the road that leads to life. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 reminds us of this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's a hard path. It is. Choosing faith over fear is a hard path, but it's the path that Jesus would have us to take when we receive foundation-shaking news. He wants us to trust him. Trust him. To believe that he is the answer to all of those who, what, where, when questions. Now, that is the path Jesus is imploring Jesus, Jairus, uh, to take. To believe, to believe that he is the answer and that he always has the final word. Jairus, just believe. Just believe and she will be made well. Now, all of the gospel writers use the same language, that, that she will be made well. In the Greek, that phrase, be made well, is the word, so, 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 I practiced that. 
several times, right? It finds its root in the, it's the same word, I'm sorry, that, that, that Jesus used when he was healing the, the woman with the issue of blood. That Greek word finds its root in the Greek word sozo. I can say that one. <laughs> sozo. Now, other than trying to make you think I'm smart, which I just showed you I'm not smart, <laughs> right? I bring that up because sozo means to save. You see, Jesus is not just promising some temporary healing to this woman and to the little girl. He is promising full restoration, complete healing. He is granting to them eternal salvation. That's what's going on here. What is the point? Well, these healings, you do understand, are more than healings. They are but a foretaste of what they are to experience for all of eternity, namely salvation. That's what's going on here. Jesus wanted Jairus to put his faith in him, the one who was ushering in a new kingdom where sickness and death would be no more. Jesus had come to save, and not just try and save, save not just save partially, but completely save. Completely save. You see, you see, what J Jairus didn't know, but Jesus fully knew, was that when, when he, Jesus, agreed to go with Jairus to his house to heal his daughter, his daughter was already healed. His daughter was already healed. When he agreed to go with Jairus, think about that for a moment, his daughter was already healed. Listen, Jesus wasn't going to, to Jairus' house to try and heal his daughter. You, you, you think about it for a minute. You think he was going to, to walk in there and say, oh, no, we got here too late. Sorry, there is nothing that I can do, Jairus. When Jesus agreed to go, he was prepared to deal with whatever he stepped into. He planned to make right whatever was wrong. Already healed. Oh, when, when Jesus commands his people not to fear and only to believe, he is calling us to believe that this world is temporary. It's temporary, and whatever the implications are of the news you just received are temporary as well. When the full ushering of the kingdom comes, all will be made well. Listen, we use it all the time. It's that famous Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Do you know what the good is? That you will be with Jesus for all eternity. 
all will be made well. Whatever is wrong will be made right. And Jesus doesn't just tell us that. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. He demonstrates it for Jairus and, and, his, and his disciples and all those who were in his house. Even, he says, Jairus, even if the very, the very worst thing happens in our life, Jesus has an answer for that too. He gets to Jairus' house and he sees mourners crying because they believe the girl is dead. But Jesus tells them to stop crying. For the girl is not dead. She is just sleeping. Which is very interesting because the girl had really died. She was really dead. When, when Jesus tells the, the mourners to, to, to stop, stop weeping, stop crying, she's just sleeping. What do they do? They laugh at him. <laughs> they knew she was dead. So why does Jesus say she was just sleeping? Because he was well aware what he was about to do. And in fact, he was going to demonstrate the nature, authority, and power of his presence. Jesus brings what is dead back to life. He is the author of life, is what Luke tells us in Acts 3. Jesus came to defeat death, to usher in wholeness and peace. So you see, to Jesus, guess what? She was indeed just sleeping. Death is not a category that exists in the presence of Jesus. You read the Gospels, every time he encountered death, that person was no longer dead. They got up. Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, life exists. Death has no category with Jesus. What did he tell John the Baptist's disciples when, when they came to Jesus, uh, wondering if they should be looking for another in Luke 7 and 22? And Jesus says, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. They're raised up. Jesus was once again manifesting in a tangible way the kingdom that he, the Messiah, was ushering in. So Jesus walks over to the child. The little girl takes her by the hand and he says, child, Little girl, arise. Jesus didn't just heal her. He saved her. He saved her. He completely restored the life that had been taken from her body. And at once she got up. Like the woman who was healed in an instant, so this little girl was revived in an instant. How oh, Jesus did more for Jairus than he could have ever imagined. And all Jesus asked him to do was believe. Was believe. Trust him. Trust him. 
That is all Jesus ever asked us to do. Believe, trust him that he is the answer. That he is the answer. Believe him. He is the answer for the world. The reason he is the answer for the world is because the world has a sickness and a death problem that we cannot solve on our own. Every illness, every illness, every ill that plagues this world is a result of our sin sickness that ultimately leads to death. And we try, and we try. Everyone tries to come up with a solution and resolutions, but guess what? Nothing works, nothing lasts. But can I tell you this morning, there is an answer for our sickness. There is an answer for our death problem. Jesus is the answer for the world today because the world doesn't just need healing from these ills. The world needs saving. It needs salvation. And guess what? Who is the only one that can save? Jesus is the only one who can save. He is the only one who can redeem. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the only way. Trust him this morning, brothers and sisters. Trust him.